Good morning and welcome to the Jesuit Institute Hour on Radio Veritas. My name is Francis Carrere and I'm going to be with you for the next hour as we talk around some of the issues in the church today. For today's program, we're going to focus really on family life. And I'm going to be chatting to a new colleague of mine, Paulina French, who is a mom like myself. And we're going to just talk a little about some of what it means to be a mother, trying to bring children up in the Catholic faith, the challenges, the rewards, the ways the church supports us, the places that it kind of challenges us. And we're also going to dip a little bit later in the program into some of the writing of Amoris Letitia. One of my hopes for this program as we go along is that we, we really spend some time exploring what Pope Francis is writing at the moment, writings in the encyclicals, so that we as Christians, as Catholics, can be challenged to be thinking with the church, to be engaging with what our faith is saying, so that our own life of prayer and of faith may be enriched by the teachings of the church. And so we're going to turn now and we're going to Say hello to Paulina, who's waiting for us online. Paulina, good morning. Morning, Francis. How are you this morning? I'm fine, thanks. And how are you? Very well, thanks. Welcome to Radio Veritas. Thank you very much. Excellent. So, Paulina, one of the places I thought we we could sort of just start is that both you and I recently attended um, John Baldwin's talks Winter Living Theology where he was looking at the sacraments, he was looking at the call of the church, he was looking at what it means to be uh, living a sacramental life as lay people and he was looking really at I, I like the idea that he was looking at some of the key sacraments that we as married people engage with, namely marriage and baptism, which really are, are sacraments that I'm, I'm struck again and again that they, 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 they are part of what it is to be in our homes and in our hearts. And so I was wondering, I, I wondered what struck you out of, out of what he was saying? Was there anything that he was saying in Winter Living Theology that kind of just struck you as a mother, as a wife, that challenged your life of faith? I think for me, the biggest um, thing that I took out of those um, sessions was really the inclusivity that is um, starting to happen. Mm-hmm. It's slow, but it is there and it's happening and it's um, us as individuals that have a responsibility to start making um, you know, the sacraments more alive in our own life, um, particularly with family and our children. Okay. Um, you know, I think we sometimes we go to church every Sunday, we come home, and you kind of, you know, you just move on because life is so busy. You don't really think about, you know, the importance, the importance of those sacraments and how you live your life every day. Yes, so there's something about how do we live our lives, how is, how is, is our, our life of faith really played out? Tell me a little bit about how you do that in your family, how you try to include the sacramental life into the lives of your family, your children, as a mother. Well, we're quite lucky because our children are at a Catholic school. Um, but at home, we try and, for example, every day we do pray. We pray together as a family at supper time. Um, but also we... we I have a very open relationship with our children where, you know, they can ask us anything about, you know, 
if they don't understand something in, that happened in, in an RE lesson, they can ask us. And often we end up having interesting debates, um, mm-hmm. you know, on, on, on issues that are real. Things, you know, my, my youngest daughter, I always tell my children, I have two girls, and I always tell them that you are equal to any boy and you can do whatever boys do. And, you know, interestingly, my younger daughter, one evening after supper, she said, you know, Mom, I don't understand why can't women be priests? Uh-huh. And that really challenged my husband and I because, you know, to answer that question is not easy. Um, so, you know, things like that. We, we like to have debate. We like that our children will ask questions and we never say to them, you know, we, we don't always have the answers, but we never say to them, you may not ask us that question. So nothing's... Um, we encourage them to, to, to ask. To talk, so there's there's that sense that nothing is a a subject you can't talk about. Yes, and 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 one of the things, for example, as well, my eldest daughter um, learned about abortion, uh-huh. you know? and we've had the discussion about abortion, and um, if we were in that situation, what would we do? You know? mm-hmm. um, and it's important to discuss these things with our children because it can happen to our children. Exactly. How do we deal with it if we haven't opened up those channels? So there's something about what I'm hearing you saying there is that there's something about really nurturing um, a space of dialogue in the home that you're talking about that sounds very important, that it's, it's, it's not only okay, it's permissible, it's encouraged to be talking about different difficult questions or possibly difficult questions. I mean, women, priests and abortion, those are quite big topics for children to be bringing up at the supper table. Um, yeah, they are very difficult topics, and I tell you, sometimes you need a stiff drink as <laughs> <laughs> you're discussing them with your children because it's, they're not easy dis- discussions, and, and, and we've told our children that we don't always have the answers, and we won't always have the answers. Mm-hmm. But for us as a family, we would rather they raise the question with us and be free and open to talk about it than to you know, possibly look at, you know, maybe the wrong sources. Mm-hmm. Well, I presume it's kind of, it reminds me of something, I'm, I'm going to just step sideways radically here, but I, I always remember Adam Habib. Uh, so, so, I mean, obviously he's not Catholic, he's, he's Muslim, but um, I always remember him giving a talk once and he was, he was talking about faith and about growing up as a Muslim and he was talking about one of the great challenges to his faith was that when he was young and he asked difficult questions he was told those were inappropriate questions and it led him to have a real crisis of faith where he sort of moved away from faith for a long time because the message he got was that there were certain questions you could not ask rather than that there were certain questions to which the answers were not clear or were very difficult, which is a different... And, and I really like what you're saying, that, that you can ask any question in the family. There may not be an answer, but you can at least ask the question, and that that's quite an important step. Yes, I must admit, as when I was growing up, I mean, I grew up in a... Both my parents were Portuguese, so we were quite brought up in quite a strict home. And... Yeah, these questions were not asked. Mm. Um, so I want to create a different environment for my children because I know what it's like when you're struggling with your faith and you know it's not always easy to go to a, a priest or a, a deacon to go and talk about these things or even an RE teacher, you know. 
Um, so I want my children to feel comfortable to come and, and talk to us. And, and, and we feel as a family that it's very important that these issues are raised in a safe environment as well. We, we know that you're not going to be judged or, um, you know, you, it, it's, a safe, it's a safe place. So when you were talking earlier about a sense of greater inclusion, this was some of what you were thinking about, the sense of being allowed in the, in the church of the home, really, to, for children to have a much greater voice, at least in being able to ask questions, to challenge, to stretch, to discover their own truths with your help as parents. Yes, I think that's our role as parents, you know, we are only given these children to bring up for a certain number of years and then they're not ours anymore. <laughs> and we have to. <laughs> and that's very difficult for a, for a parent. Um, but we have to give them the tools and the, and the experience to be able to deal with these things. Um, and if we don't do that, they're going to become, I guess, a little bit lost and... They won't know how to deal with difficult things if we don't give them that exposure. Um, I also feel that children that are growing up today, you know, if your child is nine years old, you've got ten years, and then they're on their own, and they're in the world. And yeah. You know, it happens so quickly. And that, yeah. Yeah. I, I can relate to that. Um I was I, I, I recently bumped into the daughter of a friend of mine and the last time I saw her she was about four and, and now she's driving. Oh and my goodness. <laughs> and I was like, Oh no, yeah, what happened? Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I remember people saying that to me when I was little and I thinking, This is insane of there's been all these years and now I'm middle aged yeah, exactly. and time whips past. Yes, exactly. And I, I think for me, the most recent uh, kind of wake-up call is that my older daughter is taller than me. Ah! It's a big thing. <laughs> it's a big thing for me. It's, uh, um, yeah, so she's taller than me, soon she'll be, you know, out in the world. So it's important that we teach our children about living our faith, not just reading about it and um, going to church every Sunday and listening to the homily and then working out and... You know, just shutting it off. You can't because um, life happens every day, not just on a Sunday. So I wanted to pick up, I know we've talked about this a little bit before. I want to pick up a little bit about the role of church in the lives of, of, of Catholic children. And um, both you and I have had experience both of of sitting in churches where there aren't cry chapels, where there are cry chapels, and where there are and there aren't children's liturgies. And I think both of us have also engaged in helping make children's liturgies happen. Um, and I thought it might be quite nice just to talk as mothers for a moment about what the experience of going to to Mass, taking children to Mass is, especially small children. I mean, it, it obviously changes when they when they're a bit older, but, but little children, just to reflect back a bit on that, Paulina, and maybe just to say, you know, from your experience, what do you, what do you think about some of those, those experiences of how the church welcomes families with kids? Um, yes, I think that I remember going to church the first time with my newborn baby and being completely beside myself with anxiousness because this 
child I knew was going to scream <laughs> at some point. <laughs> she was going to scream, and and we we kind of made the decision that we would go and sit once or twice in the cry chapel, but didn't last very long because we just felt so excluded. Um, I don't know what it was. I think it was possibly the fact that it felt like we were sitting in a fishbowl and we couldn't really hear properly. Um, but as the children grow, grew older, we, we moved into the, back into the main church and we found that it was far better. And our children participated in the children's liturgy. They would go off and, and do their thing and one of us, either my husband or myself, would go with them. And we found that was quite, it was beneficial because um, they felt as if they were participating. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we weren't just sitting mm-hmm. there and t- telling them to just keep quiet. You know, a young child of two cannot keep quiet for an hour. <laughs> it's, just, it's just not possible yeah, unless you drag them. <laughs> not going to happen. No. So, um, and also they were... You know, their participation involved listening to the stories and of, of the gospel and what was happening for that day, and it was, we found it was very beneficial. And it helped us also, you know, after church had finished, to maybe talk about what had happened and what they'd done and, you know, what the main message for them was, you know, even mm-hmm. if it was a simple thing like, you know, you mustn't tell lies or don't take something that's not yours. Um, we just found that it was very helpful. So there's something about the children's liturgy that was really allowing kids to engage with faith at their own level. I mean, that's certainly the sense I have with my own children in children's liturgy, that 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 it engages them with a, a concrete expression of faith that, that makes sense at their own at their own level. The yes, other, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I think that sometimes. Um, sometimes I even struggle to to hear what um, the priest is trying to say in this homily. So I, I just can imagine what a two-year-old would feel like. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we, we, we did have, I, I, I have this wonderful memory. Before we, we engaged with um, doing uh, children's liturgy ourselves, we, I can remember once sitting in a, a mass. I'm not going to say who was preaching. Um, yeah. But we were sitting in a mass and we had encouraged all our children. They knew, they know that on the car drive home, they'll be asked what, what was said in the homily. And yeah. so they, 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 they're used to that. And the homily had been going for a little bit when my son tugged on my husband's shoulder and said, Dad, I don't know what the priest is talking about, so I won't know when we get in the car. Oh, shame. <laughs> he was pre-warning you. So he was pre-warning you. us. He was listening, but he didn't know what it was about. And I'm, I'm kind oh. of struck. When I was reading some of the documents on, on the liturgy, um, uh, there's there's a there's a line actually that says that priests should always remember to address some portion of their homily to the children in the parish. I know that they don't all do that, but I'm struck that it's actually in the documents on the liturgy that that the priest should be when he's writing his homily he should be thinking about just a little bit of a, a commentary at some point that that is that is at the level that the kids in the congregation can have something that they can take away. And there are some priests who are really, really good at that, who who kind of engage children at some point in the liturgy and will and will consciously get them hooked. Yes. 
Um, yes, and, and, and I think that's, that's critical because those children that are sitting in the pews that are queue now are going to be, uh, in 10 years' time, they're the kids that are going to be the youth of our church. Yeah. I'm also... And, st- yeah. And, and, I, and I just think that we should start including them now and start trying to bring them on board in some way or other. Mm. <clears throat> I'm also struck by something that's kind of running for me as a thread as a parent through this whole thing of um, children's liturgies. And I noticed it came up in what you were saying that when you started talking about what happens in children's liturgy, you were talking about very concrete things for the kids, like they, they learned that they shouldn't lie or they shouldn't steal, that there's, a, there's a, that, that kind of Christian ethics and, and the life of prayer become very apparent when I'm working with children. I, I see it when I'm working with my own children. I see it when I'm preparing. I, I quite often do the children's liturgy. That it's, it's, and I see it in myself, but I see it in every parent who prepares that liturgy. It's, it's kind of like it's this very tangible stuff. And then when we become adults, I'm sort of struck by how that can sometimes get a bit lost and it can be more, uh, for want of a better word, maybe more spiritual or airy-fairy and less tied to reality. One of the things I was thinking about with John Baldwin was how he was bringing back the idea of social justice and Christian ethics as being core to what it is to being Christian. So I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Yes, you know what, I think that children are so open to what they hear and they think, and, and this is not, by no means, I'm not trying to make children um, seem you know, that they don't have intelligence. But I think it's because they are so open and so, they like sponges. Mm. And adults, we try and complicate things, maybe. Mm-hmm. And when we read, you know, a liturgy or gospel, we we just make it so complicated. And I, and I think we're losing the essence of what we're trying to, you know, what, what the gospel is actually saying to us. Um, whereas I think children are much more open to, you know, just, just the simplicity of what what we need to hear. I don't know if that makes any sense. Well, it sounds quite like what Jesus is saying in the Gospels, isn't it? Where he talks about that we need to be like children. Isn't that really exactly. what he's saying? Exactly. And I must say, my own personal image of Jesus is this man surrounded by, by children. You know, uh, every time we read about him, he has children around him. And, and maybe that's something that we should just stop and think about. There's something about Jesus as, as a man who is able to speak to children, to engage in a way, in a very simple way, and yet saying stuff that's profound. Yes, yes. I like that image. I like the image of children being drawn to him even as he was, you know, sermonizing on the mount or wherever. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and for me, that's how we should all try and be. We should be more simple and stop trying to, I don't know, overcomplicate and overinterpret what uh, we're being told. Uh-huh. It's kind of interesting. It, it, it reminds me of, um, I don't know if your children do this to you, but... My, my my eldest daughter does this to me regularly. You know, we'll be we'll be talking about something Christiany, um, and then she'll dump me into a, a real 
ethical crisis. So the one that always comes to my mind is we were driving home the one day and there was somebody on the side of the road and Mary Jane says to me very loudly so they can hear too, she says, does that man have somewhere to sleep tonight, Mommy? And I said, I don't know. And she said, we should stop and ask and if he doesn't, we should take him home with us. (laughs) And I was like, okay. Wow. Yes, you see, and I think that goes back to the simplicity that we were just talking about. You know, yeah. what adult would think like that? And and I can remember sitting there thinking, like one part of me was like, I sort of wish I had the courage to do that, but I don't. Yes, yes. Um, I'm amazed my daughter has the courage to do that. Yes. And and that clear vision of childhood, that that kind of that, and and she didn't let it go. You know, there was a long lot of discussion afterwards about, but Jesus says. You know, yes. you should share. And I was thinking, hmm, yeah. yeah. And here I am. What am I actually teaching you? Yeah, and also, and I think it also goes back to that whole thing of children just look at life and they see examples of things that we don't even think about, mm. you know. And, and, and it's this simplicity, which I think we as adults, we become so entrenched in our way of thinking and our and life is you know life is busy and life is hectic and we've all got busy jobs and busy lives and we're trying to run that corporate ladder ladder or trying to run our own homes and you know we don't have time to think simply and there's something there about them cutting through all of that irrelevant stuff to the core of the issue which is why doesn't this person have somewhere to sleep tonight and what are you going to do about it mom Yes, exactly. Um, I loved, so I'm just, I keep coming back to what John Baldwin was saying, but I presume it's because I found, I found his series from Winter Living Theology so inspiring. Um, I love that the solemn blessing at the end of the, the wedding mass that he highlighted for us, where he was talking yes. about uh, marriage, and he, I'll, I'll just read it and, and see if it resonates with what we've been saying. But he talked about, may you be witnesses. Well, this is the the, the blessing. May you be witnesses to the world, to God's charity, so that the afflicted and needy who have known your kindness may one day receive you thankfully into the eternal dwelling of God. And I I presume when he was talking about that, I was thinking about that encounter with my, my own daughter where she was challenging me to take someone home and give them a bed for the night. Um, yes. But that sense in this of, uh, of how much do we in our, marriage, in our marriages, how much do we in our marriage prep, in our lived life of experience, how much do we really see ourselves as, as ministers of, of a sacrament, because we are ministers of the sacrament of marriage to each other as husband and wife, um, how do we see ourselves, this, this is a pondering question, as really reflecting that love of God in the world that that blessing seems to invite us to? I, I don't know what your thoughts are about that. Yes, that's a very powerful, um, I mean, I, I remember that a, a specific session, and um, I think that we as, you know, children will watch parents we think they're not watching, but they watch everything that we do. And if we are treating people 
contradictory to the way we tell our children we should be living our lives. We're going to pick that up. Mm. Um, and I know we have that in our family. We have we have this rule that if your cupboard has got too many clothes that you actually can't decide in five minutes what you want to wear, you've got too many clothes. So we have this thing that once every season we clear out our cupboards. And I tell you, I, I've just seen how my children just willingly just take things that they don't need and they don't use and they just give them away to we take them to a, a children's home. And it's just become entrenched in the way they they act. Um, we also have a very strong... Um, we, we, we tell our children and we try and live our lives like this, that we try and make our home as welcoming as possible to to people that come into our lives. And I've seen, I mean, simple things, like when my kids have a play date, I, my oldest doesn't really have play dates anymore, but my youngest still does. I've just watched how she just makes another child feel welcome. And for me, that's, that's part of living the sacrament of marriage and, and welcoming people into your home with love. Hmm. So there's something about modeling hospitality that's really, really kind of key to this whole thing of family life. I, I, I'm really struck that, that that plays out. I mean, Pope Francis writes quite a lot about that in um, Amoris Laetitia. Uh, he, he writes about the importance of hospitality, the importance of, of kind of social networks that draw in the, the lonely, that draw in those who are in need of a little bit more help than others, that that sustain us and that, that also serve as, uh, it's, it's, it's also striking to me, he also writes about them serving as checks and balances, that that when when we are integrated into a broader community, when we are encountering others on a regular basis, two things happen. The one is that we are extending hospitality and generosity and God's love in the world. But the other is that we're also receiving all of that. And we're also, there's a there's a kind of a safeguard in that when things go wrong in families, as they will in every family, if those yeah. families are more permeable, more open, they're much more likely to be picked up and noticed by outsiders quickly than in families that are very isolated, that, you know, deep dysfunctions are less likely to to take root in a family that's, yes. that is permeable to, the, to, to others. Yes, I agree fully with that. You know, I think in today's society, and particularly in South Africa, we live in homes with high walls, we don't talk to neighbors, we don't interact with each other like we used to. I mean, I remember as a kid, I used to ride my bike on the road until 6 o'clock at night. And, you know, if I wasn't at home at 6 o'clock, I'd be across the road at the neighbor's house. And, mm. you know, our kids don't have that anymore, that sense of community. So I think the more open we can teach our children to be to, you know, welcome, obviously, you know, within limits. Yeah. You're not going to just open up your home to, you know, everyone who wants to come in. But I, I do think that that sense of community is what's missing in our world today. Hmm. 
So this has been a, a really nice, nice conversation. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. I've been talking. Yes, I have. <laughs> Good. I have. I've been a bit, I was a bit nervous at first, I must tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've done great. great. It, it, it is, for those of you who are listening to Pauline, it's the first time that we are throwing her into live radio. So she's been very brave and leapt into the breach with us. But it's been wonderful chatting to you, and I've, I've enjoyed the conversation a great deal. So we've been listening to Paulina French. Uh, she and I have been talking about what it's like to be mothers of, of children, trying to bring them up in the church as Catholic kids. Um, and we you're obviously listening to the Jesuit Institute R here on Radio Veritas. Paulina, thank you very much for sharing this morning with us, and we hope to chat to you again sometime soon. Thank you very much for having me, Frost. It was really quite fun. Good. Excellent. Now we're thank going you. to turn to some music.
Radio Veritas, together with the multi-talented musical group, The Gifted Folks, bring you a concert in celebrating the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Come and join us as we praise in song on the 26th of August at the Sacred Heart Cathedral in Pretoria at 7 p.m. The cost is 100 rand. Contact Mahadi Butelezi on 011-663-4700 or 083-992-0387. The never-to-be-missed golfing experience of a lifetime has arrived. Radio Veritas is hosting its second annual Golf Day on the 4th of October, 2016. To make your bookings, contact Mahadi Butelezi on 011-663-4700 or 083-992-0387. Mareti wa Radio Veritasi, yuno kisutolo na sabatlasi, bo machobo, wanamashangwana atou. Kato wakamukwena. Ariko pane labubedi mungwe le mungwe kusimulaka ura yabusupa kufitelaka ura yaburobedi maitibu wa lika tazilana matato kusimulaka ura yabubedi motsekharu kufitelaka ura yabune. Ariko pane kuku. Radio Veritas. The good news for a change. So you're back at the Jesuit Institute Hour here on Radio Veritas, listening to me, Francis Correa. We were just listening to the song by Marty Hogan, All Are Welcome. And that song, again, I, I chose it for two reasons today. The one is, I, I really love it. I, it was one of the songs I played at my own wedding. And I played it for much of the same reason that John Baldwin chose to play it to us in Winter Living Theology, where he was talking about the importance in marriage of welcoming of of being a place that is 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 also about justice in the world um this is a challenge in my own marriage that i find very difficult to live out i'm not saying i've got it sewn up at all but it is a challenge that i like to reflect on because i find that it, it helps me to just think again to touch base with the sense of we are called to love each other but we're also called to love in the world and that that plays through that that lovely song by Marty Hogan. So we today's program really I wanted to pick up some of these thoughts about marriage, about childhood, about um what it means to be Christian parents, what it means to be in family life. We're all in families in one way or another, even those of us who may have chosen to be celibate come from families. Um that families are really the, the bedrock of our, our society. And, of course, in South Africa, we know that many of those families don't fit um, with a pre-existing idea of what a perfect family should look like. I, I just have to look around my own church community. I see many, many, many single moms struggling to bring up children. I think of mothers I know whose husbands work in some other part of the world, somewhere else in Africa, who see them very rarely, um, who really have to, to, to rear children on their own. I, I think of a friend of mine who is a single dad who's bringing up his kids on his own, and 
I really have to take my hat off to him. I take my hat off to any single parent because as as a married parent, um, I don't know how they manage to do bedtime, let alone anything else. Bedtime requires two parents in my life. That's just because I'm incompetent, clearly. But, you know, it's the sense of <clears throat> we come from a variety of families. I know I was chatting to someone who is um, a headmaster to school, and he was talking to me about how more than half the kids in his school don't live with either parent. They're living with an aunt or an uncle, with a cousin, with a grandparent. So we live in a in a country in which what it means to be in a family is is an interesting question. Who is in the family is an interesting question. Things aren't necessarily exactly like what they look like in some mythical nuclear family world, but there is still love. There is still familial life. And all these things that Pope Francis is writing about in Amoris Letitia still really, we can think about how do they apply to me? How do I, how do I want to live this out? How do I want to engage with my life? Right at the center of Amoris Letitia in chapter four, there is a long discursion by the Pope on the hymn to love from Corinthians, which you probably know. I'm going to read it to you. Uh, it's a very famous passage. It's uh, a friend of mine who's Jewish says she, she, it's the passage of Christian literature she knows the best because it's always at every funeral and every wedding. Um, but I'm going to read it to you in case you haven't heard it. So it comes from Corinthians, and it's this passage that reads, Love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous or boastful, it is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So that's from 1 Corinthians 13. And the Pope goes on to talk about how love is experienced and nurtured in the daily life of couples and parents and their children. And he wants us to think about this text really as being the central text for thinking about family life. This for him is the central text when we should be thinking about how to live in families, we should be thinking about this text. So I thought... It might be nice this after, this morning just to, to tease through this text a little bit to see what Francis is saying to us about it. When I read this, it was this chapter, it was a little bit like listening to a really well-written homily. You know, occasionally you go, you go to Mass and you, you come away from one of those homilies that leaves you shaken. Well, that's what this text was for me. So chapter 4, if you want to find it, Google Amoris Letitia, A-M-O-R-I-S, Amoris, Letitia, L-A-E-T-I-T-I-A. You'll find it very easily, and it's chapter 4. And just read this chapter. It's not long. can be read by absolutely anyone. Even my nine-year-old daughter delved into some of it. Okay, it's got a few Greek words. Just miss them like she did. So he starts off by talking about love is patient. And then he says, this does not simply have to do with enduring all things. But it really refers to the quality of a person who does not act on impulse 
and who avoids giving offense. Now, just think about that in the context of family life. You know, yesterday my kids had a, as siblings do, they had a spat about toys. And immediately this line comes to my mind, love is patient. It has to do with not acting on impulse and avoiding giving offense. Hmm? And it picks up the idea that God's love with us is patient. That God is restrained with us, showing his mercy towards us. And it's in that showing of mercy that his real power is exposed. And that's an interesting concept because it kind of goes against the macho culture that we live in where power is when I exert power. And here the Pope is saying God's power is shown in restraint. Being patient, the Pope goes on, does not mean letting ourselves be constantly mistreated, tolerating physical aggression or allowing other people to use us. We encounter problems whenever we think that relationships or people ought to be perfect or when we put ourselves at the center and expect everything to turn out our way. Then everything makes us impatient. Everything makes us react aggressively. Isn't that interesting? That kind of emphasis on where do we place ourselves? Are we at the center? Or are we seeing ourselves actually as being part of, part of a family, part of a community, that everything doesn't have to go my way? Pope then goes on with the next bit of that Pauline hymn. Love is at the service of others. So I'm kind of, what I'm doing is dropping in and out of the text of Amoris Laetitia. Hmm? And here, Pope Francis picks up this idea. He says, throughout the text, it is clear that Paul wants to stress that love is more than a feeling. Rather, it should be understood along the lines of the Hebrew verb to love, as in to do good. Isn't that nice? I, I really like this. That, that love is more than a feeling. We often hear that bandied around by people, that love is more than a feeling. But here the Pope's really making it explicit. It's about to do good. To love is to do good. And then he goes on to quote St. Ignatius of Loyola, very famously said, Love is shown more by deeds than by words. It thus shows its fruitfulness and allows us to experience the happiness of giving, and the nobility and the grandeur of spending ourselves unstintingly without asking to be replayed, purely for the pleasure of giving and serving. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, this is a deeply countercultural invitation. If we, if we watch any advertising on TV, it's all about what you need, what's more for me, what's going to make my life better. Just listen to what Pope Francis says. Love is shown more by deeds than by words. It thus shows its fruitfulness and allows us to experience the happiness of giving, the nobility and the grandeur of spending ourselves unstintingly without asking to be repaid purely for the pleasure of giving and serving. I love the sense that he's picking up that idea that it is pleasurable, it is delightful to be in the business of giving and serving. And my own experience as a mother is that that is deeply, deeply true. It is in the, 
the giving and the serving of my children that I have found great joy. But I found it at other times as well that that the sense of meaning and purpose that comes when I'm at the service of others, whether or not they're my family, is is deeply satisfying, way more deeply satisfying often actually than being served when, you know, I'm just waiting. So there's something about this invitation to to a love, to an idea of love that is not about being swept up in fuzzy feelings, but is really about commitment to action, that I like in what Pope Francis is writing about. He goes on to say, love is not jealous. So there we go. That's again from the Pauline hymn. And he says, St. Paul rejects as contrary to love an attitude expressed by the verb to be jealous or envious. This means that love has no room for discomfiture at another person's good fortune. Envy is a form of sadness provoked by another's prosperity. It shows that we are not concerned for the happiness of others, but only with our own well-being, whereas love makes us rise above ourselves. Envy closes us in on ourselves. True love values the other person's achievements. It does not see him or her as a threat, and it frees us from the sour taste of envy. It recognizes that everyone has different gifts and a unique path in life, so it strives to discover its own road to happiness while allowing others to find theirs. In a word, love means fulfilling the last two commandments of God's law, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant or his ox or his donkey or anything else that is your neighbor's. Love inspires a sincere, a sincere esteem for every human being and the recognition of his or her own right to happiness. I love this person and I see him or her with the eyes of God who gives us everything for our enjoyment. I think there's something in this that is just really, really important to hold on to. The sense of freedom to love. A freedom to love the other as they are. A freedom to delight in them as they are. The freedom not to be trapped into feeling covetous of the person or envious of them. And in that freedom, there is a, there is a joy, a delight, a a, a, a way of being, and again, these are quite countercultural ideas. You know, I I'm struck by how, as I listen to children talking in the playground, my my friends' children and my own children, I hear them getting anxious about whose best friend am I, and is she really my best best friend? This is a very girly talk. May not happen so much with boys, but it certainly happens with my daughters. And there's something in there about ownership, about wanting to hold on to the other as if they were a possession. And yet, when, when they are able to be free with each other, when we are able to be free to let the other one just be themselves, then there is a sweetness to the friendship, to the in- encounter, that is absolutely precious. So... The Pope goes on, he talks a little bit more about love is not boastful, love is not rude. He really, he teases through all of those um, different moments in that Corinthians hymn. 
I'm not going to go through the whole thing now, but I thought I would just give you a flavor of it because my desire would be that you should go and read this chapter yourselves. To read the whole of an encyclical may be a bit much, but to read chapter four, it's not very long. It's very beautifully written, very accessible. I just want to encourage you to, to go and try and engage with it. And, and even, as we were saying a little bit earlier with Paulina in that conversation, to to read it as a child, to read it with childlike eyes, to let it speak to your inner child, if you like, to speak to your heart and to see if something in that just stirs up something about your own life, your own life of prayer, your own life in the spirit. And so as you are pondering that, we're going to take another music break. I'm going to listen to a little bit more music now, to listen to some kids singing and and we'll move on.
So we were just listening to Give Thanks by Integrity Kids. We're coming towards the end of the Jesuit Institute hour now. And just as we close down, I'd like to propose as a way forward for families, for you, in whatever way that you relate to your family, uh, a simple exercise to do perhaps today or over the coming weekend. And that is to to go yourself, maybe even if you don't go and read Amoris Letitia, just to go to Corinthians 13 and reread that lovely hymn about love and to read it reflectively and as you read it to to ponder in your own heart how am I living out this kind of loving relationship in the world? How am I living this kind of love with the people around me, with my family, with my children, with my spouse, with my parents, with my siblings, you know, with the people who live in the same street as me? And so as we, as we lead out today, I'm going to invite you to to listen again reflectively to these words of St. Paul, to let them really burn as a brand in your heart and to hear them as a prayer, this great hymn of prayer, of love that St. Paul writes. So I ask you to just listen. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not exist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things endures all things. And so I end this with the prayer that Pope Francis ends Amoris Letitia with. Let us make this journey as families. Let us keep walking together. What we have been promised is greater than we can imagine. May we never lose heart because of our limitations or ever stop seeking that fullness of love and communion which God holds out before us. Amen, and be blessed.